What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Tulsa Lately, your favorite locally-based podcast. I'm your host, Mike. This is the show where I go around and talk to entrepreneurs, business leaders, anyone that's out there trying to make this awesome area of Oklahoma even awesomer. As I always say, go back and listen to older episodes. If you haven't, you're bound to find something you like, and I wouldn't want you to miss out. But this time around, I am talking to the Director of Sales and Marketing at Marshall Brewing Company, which I was super excited to do because I have been a big fan of their amazing product for quite some time now. It was really cool. There's a lot that, you know, I didn't realize was going on with the craft brewing industry, and they actually had a big part in changing it and expanding it and opening it up for other craft breweries to to do their thing. So really cool conversation. He's a pretty stellar guy, and uh, I know you're going to like it. So without further ado, enjoy. All right, so I'm here at uh, the tap room at Marshall Brewing Company with Wes. Hi, Wes. How, how about you introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. My name is Wes Alexander, and uh, I'm the Director of Marketing and Sales here at Marshall Brewing Company. Uh, been on the ground uh, since day one, and uh, we started business in uh, May of 2008, so it's been quite a ride. 2008, really? That, That's right. That recently? Wow, because I just feel like you guys are everywhere yeah. right now. So obviously... Mr. Marketing and Sales, you've been doing your job. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you know, the thing is, in in 2008, if you think about the the landscape of craft beer in Oklahoma, really our friends down in Krebs at Chalk Beer Company were the only ones operating. We were the first brewery really to open in, you know, a major city here. And there was an an intrigue and an interest that was – very, very helpful in us getting started. Uh, I wouldn't say that we haven't been pushing the ball uphill and that we still aren't. Uh, there were lots of early barriers to entry, but there was also tremendous adoption. And, uh, you know, people ask us all the time, you know, the laws here in this state, uh, we can say whatever we want to. We've changed most of them now. But uh, that that made it harder for us to open our business in this environment. Um, and so... I think people have always understood, you know, that Oklahoma was maybe behind the times speaking with alcohol laws, and they felt for us and supported us kind of to the nth degree because they knew that we were uh, would have to struggle in an environment that uh, really wasn't uh, an open free market for a craft brewery. This is a pretty, uh, you know, small business, sympathetic, you know, defend the little guy kind of environment Absolutely. in Oklahoma, you know, it kind yeah. of always just kind of a grassroots sort of place. So I, right. I could definitely see that. What specific laws were kind of preventing you guys from expanding when you first started? You know, I think the first thing, and, and this is kind of a real back end thing to think about, but if you, if you imagine that you had a product and that you were going to have to wholesale that product to get it to retail, um, our state looked at us as a non-resident seller. And that's a technical term that what it really means is that we could not have an exclusive franchise arrangement with a particular distributor. Um, We had to sell to all 11 uh, Class B wholesalers in this state um, at the same price. And what that was in terms of a negative meant that no one particularly wanted to carry our product early on. And no one one had the buy-in, you know. 
if if you look at say, because it, uh, is it sorry, is it because it's a it would be a little more risky to take a chance on a newer brewery if it's like there's a, it, there's an element of that. It? There's always been an element of misunderstanding of what a craft brewery is. You know, I, okay. I think uh, it is often we say it's just plain hard work to get into this business. It takes a tremendous amount of capital. It's really capital intensive business to start. Okay. But but more to that point with the distribution was the fact that. Literally every other brand that comes in from out of the state would have an exclusive franchise distributor and an arrangement. That that arrangement would be uh, with compensation. It would be with plans. Uh, it would be with incentives, things of that nature. You know, all of the things that we know about selling products that a distributor would need as tools to do their job. We could not do that because we had no exclusivity. So okay. literally in the early days, you know, you'd think my job was, you know, going to bars and restaurants and liquor stores and trying to get them to pick up our product. In the early days, it was more about trying to convince, you know, 11 different wholesalers. And if you'd imagine these wholesalers all have different parts of Oklahoma to pick up and, and carry our product and mm. because there's no advantage to them doing so. Uh, not when they can have an exclusive arrangement, you know, with another out of state brand. And so we literally had to build our own sales, build our own accounts, and, and then show the sales that we had made to the distributor and said, would you please pick this product up and, and deliver it? That's a really a backwards way to think about things. And I don't blame the distributors on that at all. Uh, in fact, if you go way back in the history of Oklahoma, uh, 15, uh, 20-ish years, you know, their wineries started a kind of a cottage industry in the state. And uh, they fought for rights to be self-distributed. And uh, that's great and well and good for them. But that framework is what kind of applied to us. And it irritated mm. distributors that, that wineries uh, got the rights to self-distribute. And it makes sense in wine because wine is a, a, a smaller volume. Beer is a big volume game. You've got to mm. sell a lot of beer if you want to make any money. And so it just doesn't make sense to handle your own distribution. Okay. So then, uh, I mean, you guys probably spent a lot of time kind of fighting that. What exactly, so you basically spent time trying to get to where you could distribute your own beer or, or, or you were restricted to distributing your own beer, I should say. No, and, and this, I mean, just understand that everything in Oklahoma is pretty confusing to talk about. Okay. No, yeah. we had to use a distributor. Right. Okay. But we couldn't have an exclusive arrangement with a distributor. Okay. okay. And so, we, you know, we had to ultimately, you know, become friends and neighbors and, and show them that we could build volumes that would be beneficial for them so that they would then start stocking appropriate inventories because that's what's gotcha, necessary okay. to really grow the brand. You know, if gotcha. you think about selling beer, you know, uh, the six pack is the best selling package in this industry. You know, a lot of people go to a bar and restaurant, look at the tap handles and they go, God, that's great. There's Marshall. And, and it is, but you're selling one beer at a time. Um, 70% of the business that sold the beer that sold through a craft brewing business goes out of a package store. If you want to beat, meet the, the demands of a, a package store, you have to have lots of inventory and capabilities of delivering almost daily to those stores as they deplete product. All right. So, so what's, what laws specifically needed to change to change that? So th this is something that, that was uh, handled in the companion legislation to uh, 2016 state question 792, which is the, oh, really? it's okay. what we all went, you know, to the polls and voted on. It was a referendum and, and essentially it was talking about doing away with the framework of the dual strength 
system for beer that we had. And the dual strength being beers that are 3.2% alcohol by weight and beers that are in excess of 3.2% alcohol by weight. So, you know, that, that happened in 2016. So if you look at our timeline, you know, we start in 2008. Um, we become fairly savvy at uh, understanding how to negotiate uh, legislatively and to run bills and get our interests protected. We're very, very lucky that uh, my longtime friend and brother-in-law, Adam Marshall, um, who's Eric Marshall's older brother, uh, is a, a, an attorney here in town and probably one of the finest minds in the state when it comes to the legislative, legislative side of things with alcohol law in Oklahoma. And not because he wanted to be, <laughs> because we simply had to be to protect our interests. So, right. you know, uh, that state question 792 essentially changed the whole of the landscape. And in the companion legislation to that bill, which was a legislative bill, Senate Bill 424, run by uh, uh, Senator Stephanie Bice, um, it dealt with the franchise laws. And essentially what it did was allow for an Oklahoma craft brewery to select a distributor and then have their own arrangement with what that distribution agreement would look like. And so that gets the buy-in from the distributor to say, oh yeah, you're with me, you're my brand, I'm gonna make sure that we have coverage across this entire territory. We're gonna run programs, incentives, we're gonna grow your brand. Okay. So before, you know, there was no buy-in because we had to sell every single distributor equally. And, and so, Really, the system that we was that we were in, we were out, you know, building the business ourselves, and then they were just handling delivery. Well, today they're an actual partner in helping us grow the business. And if you thought about a distributor, let's say um, that a distributor has forty-eight different, you know, reps that are out in the market, you know, climbing through liquor stores, taking inventories, going to grocery stores, convenience stores, bars, and restaurants. Those are real numbers of feet on the street. That's how you grow your brand. You know, I, I've been doing this for a little better than 10 years, and I'm just one person. But that exponential growth really takes off when you have a distributor as a partner. Okay, so basically it just sort of opened up the doors for smaller breweries to have a better shot at getting their products out there. That's right. Okay, yeah. because, yeah, I, I mean... And we were even kind of talking a little bit before we started that there are there are breweries that are popping up all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, so it kind of uh, kind of worked out for you and for everyone else. Yeah, I know? think that's so. one of the things that we're we're most proud of at Marshall Brewing Company is, you know, that because of some of the struggles, because of the time that we've been in business, that we've been able to build some benefit for our industry and kind of put our footprint. Or a hand stamp, if you will, on this industry and make it a little bit easier for, for our friends who came after us. Okay. Now I want to switch over, kind of pivot a little bit. Let's talk about the beer itself. Yeah. So, um, what what went into, I guess, choosing the ingredients, or what in general goes into how you come up with putting together a beer? Sure. Well, it's one of my favorite stories around here, and you know, we're we're called Marshall Brewing Company for Eric Marshall who's the owner, the brewmaster and CEO, chief cork soaker, you know, but right. we're, we're a small right. business. So um, Eric was going to the University of Tulsa studying international business and German language and got the opportunity to study abroad in Germany his junior year. Eric had grown up in a, in a family of home brewers and was familiar with beer and quality beer and how to make beer. But he 
immersed himself in the culture of beer in Germany. And I mean that there is a brewery in every town and every village in Germany. And people say, look, I'm from Cologne, where we make the, the Kolsch, one of the finest ales in all of mm. the world. And the beer gardens dot the landscape and that beer is a, a part of the everyday social fabric. It's the gathering place. It's the community gathering place at the beer garden. And that really impassioned and enthralled Eric Marshall such that he comes home from that experience of studying abroad saying, you know, I, I really think that I might want to be involved in the beer industry. And his parents said, well, that's great. Uh, finish your degrees. We'll talk later. And uh, what a blessing his parents have been because uh, they sent all their kids uh, to study abroad and, and offered them great opportunities. And in fact, went a step further with Eric and, and sent him to the World Brewing Academy in, in Munich, Germany, one of the world's most prestigious places to learn to brew beer. So wow, he yeah, if, owns, if I figured there'd be a place to learn how to brew beer, it'd be in Germany. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> um, he owns an international brewing diploma. Okay. Uh, they, in fact, offer a, a dual degree program um, with the Siebold Institute in Chicago, which is, we'd call them the, the equivalency of the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York the top place to learn to brew beer. And so really the whole idea for Marshall kind of stems from there that, that he's taken the time and the effort and the energy to learn a craft and a trade trade in in a traditional European environment, and then done the same duplicated that effort over here in America. And if you think about the, the long arc of beer, you know, beer is no doubt invented or discovered uh, at some time, you know, in the Fertile Crescent and creeps to Egypt and then uh, into Europe and Eastern Europe. But uh, the vast majority of beers that are being brewed in America today are some sort of a representation of those styles of beers. Now, I'm forgiving, of course, our mass-produced light lager, but I realize this is a long way to talk about how we get to this point, but I think it's really important to understand the roots and the background in Germany. Uh, the Germans are very specific and intentional, uh, purposeful, if you will, about how they select ingredients and how they brew beer. Uh, the very first food safety law uh, came into existence in 1516. Uh, it's called Reinhardtsgebot, and it talks specifically about the ingredients that can be used in beer, and it names only three, that water, uh, barley, um, and hops can be used uh, in beer. And uh, for those of you who are brewers, you'll recognize, of course, that yeast, uh, the fourth ingredient, is not in that description because it's Louis Pasteur in the late 1800s who discovers yeast. So yeast okay. is an unknown. It's, it's everywhere. It's in the air. And um, so that's really an, an integral part into the thinking of, of Eric Marshall and his development of the beers here. So uh, here's the short answer. 100% of the malted barley that we purchase comes from the world's oldest operating malting house called Weirman, uh out of Bamberg. Um, specific to the beer, uh, if we're going to brew an American pale ale, we're going to use American yeast and we're going to use you know good old uh, American hops. We have some of the finest hops in terms of aroma and bitterness are here in the U- United States. Um, there's several reasons that you don't find those same cultivars over in Europe, and part of it is growing, but part of it is also history that uh, hops cost money. And mm-hmm. for that long arc of beer, beer has been produced as an everyday drinking beverage or an alternative to unsafe water. So you wouldn't add 
more than you needed to something to create a flavor profile. You're just trying to create something that's drinkable and safe. Okay. And so hops traditionally in Europe have been used only for balance and not necessarily for flavoring. And hmm. it's, it's, a, it's an odd coincidence that the hops that grow in the northwest um, uh, of, of the United States are do an amazing job at uh, bittering and offering the wonderful aroma. We think about um, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale being probably one of the first beers to really light this world on fire with hop flavor profile. Um, but there's a, a really intricate process that starts with, you know, brewing small batches of beer and testing those. Um, but because Eric has the background, he's able to refine and fine tune in a very short amount of time. Um, but only the finest ingredients. People say to us all the time, you know, that surely you could buy, you know, malted barley in the U.S. And, and of course that you can. And there's really high quality and great barley. And then there's a ton of successful breweries that brew wonderful beers with that barley. But the finest in all of the world, we feel, comes from Bamberg, Germany. So we bring in full container loads, you know, uh, from Germany about every four weeks. Hey, if you know what the best is, get the best. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So some of my personal favorites, uh, I always love whenever I walk in to a bar and see that, ooh, it's time for the new Marshall Seasonal. Mm-hmm. If the, that comes around. What, yeah. what goes into the process of selecting, you know, what the flavor profile is going to be, sure. even what the name is going to be? Sure. You know, I feel like sometimes I'm like, ah, that's clever. You know, yeah. So, yeah, so. Well, there, there's a fair amount of uh, accident that happens um, in, in naming uh, but today you have to be really intentional. Our friends just down the street here at Nothing's Left Brewing Company kind of poke fun at this idea. You know, when we started in 2008, there were maybe 1,500 American craft breweries. Today, there are over 8,000. And so that puts a lot of in, uh, pressure on finding a name that's not already been taken. Okay, um, okay. But to be more specific, we always start with the style of beer and, and how we feel like it's going to fit into a season. So, for instance... Uh, here in the spring, we've just released our Revival Red Ale. Hoppy American Red Ale, uh, American yeast. You, a lot of people might even describe it as a red IPA. So you've okay. got that that aroma profile of really citrus, uh, pine, danky notes. Um, and then you've got this kind of toffee-ish, sweet caramel base. Um, but it, it's it's a transitioning beer into where we're headed for summer, which is a, a really easy drinking, clean but citrusy pale ale. And you're coming out of uh, the winter where, where we produce Big Jim Oak Porter, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a big American robust porter. That's a really dark beer, bittersweet chocolate coffee tone. So, Man, so we're transitioning you know, through the seasons, and we think about in the spring that um, you know, we want bright and poppy, effervescent flavors, something that kind of tingles the palate and is exciting. Uh, where you think about in the wintertime, you'd like to have something that you can just sip slowly and uh, enjoy. Dark you know, and rich. Yeah, yeah buy okay. a fire, read a book, that, that kind of a beer. Um, but when it comes to the, to the names, we're storytellers at Marshall. As much as we are you know, lovers, appreciator, brewers of beer, we're storytellers. And uh, the story with Revival Red Ale um, is that the package, uh, a red background, a white star, the number 46, that's the original flag for the state of Oklahoma. Really? We're, we were the 46th state admitted to the Union. And uh, in 1919, 1920, somewhere um, it's determined that that flag is a bit, has too many Bolshevik or communist-looking symbols. <laughs> and so it's it's got to be, you know, uh, it's got to go away. But, um, 
you know, we felt like that we wanted to tell that story about, you know, early statehood in, in Oklahoma and kind of reinforce, you know, we're the 46th state uh, to join the union. That's pretty late for being in the middle of, of the United States. And so um, that's the choice for uh, re revival being, you know, that, that intense kind of effervescent action that happens to the palate or the springtime tent revival. You know, it's a, it, it, it reminds us of the flowers poking up anew, the leaves coming onto the trees, a true revival. Uh, but Big Jim Oak Porter, the, the, the winter seasonal is probably my favorite beer. And it's, it's the one we may have had the most trouble coming up with a name. I think we, we had refined a list down to about 30 names and found that almost every one of them was taken. You'd refine down mm -hmm. to 30 names. Yeah, and this, and this would all, have been, wow. you know, uh, in 2009. Uh, so well before the current brewery boom. And so uh, I remember feeling a little bit dejected about it, and Eric Marshall walks into the brewery with a black-and-white snapshot of a gentleman hanging out of a B-25 bomber circle World War II, um, leather jacket, bomber's uh, uh, hat on, and um, the, the name on the front of the plane is, is Big Jamoke, and that person's Eric's granddad. And he flew that uh, plane in World War II, stationed in Corsica, and actually flew it home after victory in Europe. Oh, wow. And uh, Big Jamoke is the 1940s equivalent of doofus or lughead, what I call a derogatory term of endearment. Uh, but most people had, had were not, it would fallen out of favor as being used as a term. We just use doofus, right? <laughs> and so uh, it's been fun to bring that back and tell that story, you know. Yeah, That's no. That is definitely story. one of the most... Uh, interesting and, and passionate sides of this is, is to be able to tell the stories, connect to the family and connect to your consumer in a way that's really authentic and meaningful. So I'm sure that you enjoy several of your beers or all of them, but what, what would you say is just your favorite go-to? Oh, right now it's, it's this lane lager. And you know, we've been doing this for so long. I, I always tell folks, I'd probably drink a lot less beer than you'd You'd think I do. Okay. Um, All right. I guess that no, makes sense. nobody can do their job drunk and, uh, uh, and being around it, you know, it's, it's kind of maybe, maybe like, uh, you know, having a pool table at home, you know? Okay. Uh, ah, if you were to come over to my good. house, I think right this very minute, I have four total beers in the fridge. Okay. You know? Um, but this land lager, uh, is, is a beer that we developed last year, um, to represent uh, an easy, crisp, clean-drinking lager that we wanted to be identified with our region. And it goes back to that kind of ideology in Germany that, you know, we're from this area and we support and believe this product is ours, you know. And so this land lager, uh, it's a tip of the hat to one of our favorite sons here in Oklahoma, Woody Guthrie, this land is your land. Um, it's a hellas in terms of style. Uh, that's a German, clean, bright lager. Loggers are beers that take longer to produce. Um, in fact, our, our, this land lager is about 35 days grain to glass. Um, to juxtapose that, you can think about a lot of um, clean, simple ales, uh, you know, being grain to glass 10, 15 days, something of that nature. So literally takes about three times uh, longer to make, to make this lager. Interesting. But it... It produces such clean, everyday drinking characteristics um, that we wanted to identify Oklahoma with this beer as the go-to everyday drinking beer, the lake beer, 
the porch beer, the lawnmower beer. All right. And, uh, you know, if you thought about being in Texas, you know, and you just were to walk into a pub and order a beer, you just want a beer, you might call out for a Shinerbach. If you're in Pennsylvania, you might holler for a Yingling, you know. Our uh, Kansas City Boulevard wheat, of course. But, you know, here we want the everyday drinking beer, you know, for Oklahomans to think about this land lager being that beer for them. I like that. That's cool. It is a good one. I really do like Thanks. that one. I, but I have to say that uh, my, uh, my best friend and I, whenever we go out, our go-to, we pretty much always start the night with an Atlas. Yeah. So I've got to ask, is yeah. there a story or anything behind I, I told myself I promised yeah. I would ask you about the Atlas if there's oh, anything Oh, it's a really that. good story. Oh, you cool. Know, um, so in, in 2007, Eric's developing the recipes for the beer. And, you know, we're in the forefront, not of, only of Oklahoma, but, but craft beer is, is still, you know, early on, maybe in its teen years, if you were to think about in the late 70s, it gets started on the coast. But definitely in the middle of America, it's fairly new. And the crank it up to 11, if you will, style of beer is a West Coast IPA. It's very hop forward in terms of aroma, in terms of bitterness and flavor. And Eric was toying with a recipe for a, a West Coast IPA. A massive fire destroyed about 20% of the bittering and aroma hops in the Northwest and created a massive shortage in the market and prices went through the roof. Huh. And um, I wouldn't say that we bootstrapped this brewery because we didn't, but definitely, you know, on day one, before you have any revenue coming in, you know, it, it, it would be hard to see an eightfold increase in one of your key ingredients. And simply yeah. we couldn't find the hops to brew a West Coast IPA. Boston Beer Company, which we'd know as Sam Adams, uh, Jim Cook, uh, started in the 1980s in Boston, has been a huge proponent of our industry. They over-contract hops on the futures market. And they saw what had happened with this fire and the shortage of hops, and they offered a lottery to all breweries that were opening in 2008. We drew into that lottery, and they provided with the hops that they had over-contracted and available to them. And those hops actually drove the idea and the concept for Atlas IPA. So it's kind of a reverse engineer. You might think about the beer that you want to brew and then develop the ingredients around that. Right. Uh, we worked with the ingredients and developed Atlas IPA, which huh. is a, a pretty neat thing because, you know, we, we could look at our neighbors uh, in Oklahoma City. They open um, a year, year and a half later down uh, at Coop Ale Works. And then it takes them about two, two and a half years before they introduce the ubiquitous F5, a wonderfully delicious, you know, super hoppy West Coast IPA, uh, very successful. But I think what has made Atlas IPA so successful is that it is more of a British style IPA. I always feel weird saying this because, you know, mm. the Brits invent the India Pale Ale as a beer really for export um, to India while the colonizing is happening in the early 1800s. Hops are a natural preservative and they help prevent the beer from spoiling during the long voyage. Oh, and so, okay. but, but in a more European sense, the, the India pale ales of yore were, were tremendously more balanced. You know, it wasn't, the hops weren't used uh, to create a flavor profile. They were used really as a preservative. Okay. okay. And so, um, 
Atlas IPA harkens back closer to those styles of beer where you have tremendous balance. You, you notice right away when you get a West Coast IPA that's straw, pale, golden color. And that denotes that the malt in there um, has, has very little roasting, if any, and, and, and a low uh, kind of uh, sweetness to it. It's more of a dry. Um, caramel uh, malts that we use in Atlas IPA provide some caramel sweetness, which balances out the hops. And uh, because of that, Atlas IPA has been our number one seller for the entirety of our operation. Oh, I didn't even know that. It continues this day because a lot of folks appreciate that balance. And I think, though the hopheads, it's probably not their favorite beer, but the intermediary folks, the folks that say, the common comment what we get is, well, I don't really like IPAs, but I like yours. It's because it has more balance. And uh, that that has been an, an interesting thing in a market that's a sea full of, you know, really super hoppy, you know, West Coast IPAs, which we all love and drink, mm -hmm. but ours is different. And I think for that reason, there's not a ton of competition for our IPA as a really well-balanced IPA. That is why I like it because mm -hmm. sometimes I, you know, sometimes I do want something super strong, but sure. most of the time I right. don't. Most yeah. of the time. <laughs> yeah. Usually for me, it's, it's an end of the night beer that will have something that, you know, feels like you're brushing your teeth with a pine cone or something, you know, that's really, <laughs> really severe because after that, you know, you may not, your taste bud receptors are just went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am kind of curious. You are clearly very knowledgeable about what you do and you've clearly had a major part in expanding Marshall to where it is today. But I mean, you guys just started 11 years ago. Yeah. So what, what were you doing before then? Oh, I've been in sales my whole life. So, um, you know, I went to the university of Tulsa too, and, uh, I, I helped to in part put myself through there, uh, by being a salesman at the polo store when it was in Utica square, I sold, I sold suits huh. and, um, I was lucky enough to have kind of a mentor in that business who was from the old world, who was write a thank you note after every, you know, good sale and develop the customer and the client. And uh, I, par I parlayed that into um, selling industrial chemicals around the world and uh, did that for a little over a decade. And uh, I've been in every chemical factory in every backwoods part of China you can imagine. Ooh. And, and, but though it, it left me personally um, on the road all the time, uh, it puts a tremendous strain on your family. And though it's lucrative, it's not rewarding, mm. if that makes sense. No, definitely. And so uh, seeing my friend uh, Eric and Adam Marshall, you know, talk about opening a brewery, I was kind of like, you know, the guy standing outside looking into the windows going, what's going on? What are you guys doing? What are you doing? <laughs> so we worked out an arrangement. I was still in the chemical industry. And... Uh, I started to, in the evenings, uh, kind of as a subcontractor, if you would, uh, go around and, and develop accounts for us. And uh, it, it didn't take me very long to realize that I had a real passion for this. And when you get to do what you love with people you love, as far as I'm concerned, there's really not much else in life. Hmm. And um, yeah, for that reason, and, and I think it's also fair to say that me personally, you know, I, I came into this industry as, you know, a clean-shaven guy in a suit who traveled the world selling chemicals. You know, it's an antithesis of a craft beer person, right? <laughs> Even though I loved craft beer, was somewhat knowledgeable about it. And I, I probably carried a chip on my shoulder for the first several years because I wasn't a brewer. And so uh, people would want to know all kinds of information. 
and Eric's here by himself 24 hours a day running the brewery, packaging the beer, and I'm in the market selling. And, um, you know, I had to develop some knowledge. And so I would try and download as much as I could from him, but I, I really took to books and reading. And the history of it personally is enthralling to me. And um, I, I've built that into, you know, what I feel like is a real relatable way to talk about craft beer, um, such that at uh, Oklahoma State, through the Hotel and Tourism uh, Management School, I'm an adjunct professor, and I teach the history of beer. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I know. I actually know a person or two that went through that school, I believe. But um, Fantastic. So, uh, I mean, do you all put on any events, or do you have anything coming up that you want to plug or just let people know about? Yeah, you know, um, there's several things that happen in the spring that uh, are, are important to our industry. And, you know, if, if we were to talk about craft beer overall, um, I'd want folks to know that even though you see us, we're highly visible. Um, you know, we, we've been very lucky with people who want to do podcasts about us. The press is very interested in craft beer. We're small businesses bringing back, you know, Main Street manufacturing jobs that we've got a tremendous infrastructure, we've got a really good start, but all of that equals that our entire industry, all 8,000 of us small independent craft brewers, collectively have 12, 13% of the beer volume sold in the US. So that means there's a whole lot of folks that are not educated about craft beer, who have not had an experience with craft beer and could be curious. And so in the springtime, there are a great number of outdoor beer festivals. Um, and those are getting ready to start. And in fact, there's a wonderful one that happens uh, here that's a benefit for uh, green country hospice called Oysters and Ales. And it's just what you'd think. Uh, it's a seafood themed uh, event built around 3,500 oysters. If you're a person who loves oysters, you got to get yourself to Oysters and Ale. Oh, I'll be and there. Then, and then a ton of, <laughs> of uh, great uh, local breweries offering beer for sampling. Uh, and then that moves into the Oklahoma Craft Beer Festival. Uh, mid-May that happens in uh, Oklahoma City Uh, and then our good friends the Hansons host uh, the Hop Jam Mm. Uh, I believe that's May 21st don't quote me I don't have the date in front of me but you could easily go find and that's a 25,000 person outdoor beer festival centered around their music and it it's an amazing thing to see because people come from not only all corners of Oklahoma but all corners of the U.S. and maybe even internationally and we have a stage to showcase our products as local you know small businesses to the people that come 25,000 strong and so those are all opportunities that we have to grow you know I think you'd recognize no Super Bowl ad for Marshall this year nor next year nor ever (laughs) <laughs> and so it, the, the best way that we can develop a new customer, a drinker who has not had craft beer, not had our products, is, is to interact with them personally and have the opportunity to pour them a drink and tell the story and talk about the ingredients and the reason that the beer is what it is. And then, you know, this is one of the things we're here in the tap room. We've got 24 taps on the wall. Um, craft beer, I promise, if you're willing to explore, has a beer for you. You know, uh, we all understand that not everybody likes a barrel-aged stout, that not everybody likes an IPA, not everybody likes a wheat beer. And so there's a vast myriad of styles available if you're willing to explore. And if you can get directly connected to someone who works for a brewery, they're going to be very passionate about helping to guide you on that exploration because we all want to find a beer that you're going to like and you're going to be happy with and that you're going to feel like you're doing a part of supporting our local community, which you are by buying local craft beer. Okay, man, I, 
you know, it's it, it honestly really surprised me that you guys have only been around since 2008 because... Oh, I it mean, feels longer to me sometimes. You're already such a staple of the Oklahoma beer community. I mean, you're in pretty much every bar that I go to. Yeah, that's true. Like, if I go in and I ask for a This Land or an Atlas and they say we don't have that, I'm surprised. Right. I'm like, what? Yeah. You know, so that's... So, you know, I, I love what you guys do. Everyone who's ever tried, that I've seen tried your beer, loves what you do. So thank you so much for being an awesome company. Thank you for talking to me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, this has been a great time. So cheers. Cheers. And that does it for this round of Tulsa Lately. Um, you can find Marshall Brewing Company on Facebook. They're, they're pretty hard to not find. I mean, they've got uh, all forms of social media and then, you know, you can always find their product in your local liquor store or gas station or bar. So coming down the pipeline, I, you know, I, I don't want to like drop any names because I'm tentatively talking to a few people and I'm still trying to work out scheduling and everything. But I can assure you that there will be episodes coming very soon. And so I just want to plug my Patreon as well that I uh, recently started up. If you would like to become a monthly supporter and join me on this journey of promoting Tulsa small business and uh, the local community, then please feel free to do so. As always, make sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, to keep up to date with that. I'm trying to be a little more active on social media. So, uh, yeah, all episodes old and new can be found on various, all the, all the major podcasting platforms and SoundCloud or my website, TulsaLately.com. And, you know, this this really has just been a blast. If I just want to take a minute and say, I, I, I've talked to such cool people and, you know, to all my fans out there that are listening and that have been following me, I appreciate it. And I, I, I'm just really looking forward to see where this goes, you know. So, uh, but, yeah, that's about it. So, Tulsa and surrounding areas, I'll see y'all around.